Welcome to season two of The Protectors. I am outstanding by all of the awesome guests I've had tonight. Great guest, um, amazing individual. What he likes to call himself is a modern day prepper. Um, I think he's just a realist. He's a great guy. Uh, Mike Glover, without further ado. Thanks for having me on, man. What's up, brother? How you doing, man? Good, good. Relaxing and very happy to be on the on the show. Yeah, we we're talking about time management and trying to schedule all these things, man. <laughs> it's uh it's different times, man. And that's one thing I wanted to bring you on about because right before we started the show, the first thing you said was like, Hey, look, you know what? We've been preparing for this for uh, for a long time. And it's here. And you have a great wet uh podcast out there. You got a YouTube channel, you conducting classes, you're all over the world virtually right now. Tell us about it, man. Yeah, we, you know, Philcraft Survival is my company. Uh, ever since I got out as a contractor, I started focusing inherently on the survival genre, which is, which is preparedness. I mean, survival to some people does mean primitive skill sets, bushcraft. But for me in a military career in special operations, it meant planning processes, preparation, attention to detail, the right equipment, the right people. And so, I try to take a lot of those lessons learned in combat, uh, even in training in those processes and apply them to civilian life. So that's inherently what we're focused on at Footgrass Survival is offering the same for people, not necessarily in the special operations genre, but just everyday people. Well, you know, you are an expert at decision making um, and you could tell throughout your career. And one thing I was, I love popping through people's Instagram stories and their pictures and everything before we start a podcast. And I want to backtrack to young Mike Glover to when he was a tomb uh, guardian. And that is an amazing responsibility, but also to get badged. Mm-hmm. And that had to have affect your whole career, I, I would imagine. Can you just tap on that a little bit? Yeah, I, I don't often get asked specifically about the guard um, because a lot of people don't. I think a lot of people don't understand the the job itself and the difficulty itself. You know, the the guards at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier have been guarding the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Arlington Cemetery since 1948, and the U.S. Army has been doing that 24 hours a day seven days a week since then. And to be a tomb guard, you have to go through seven to nine months of training. You have to uh, get selected, you have to get trained, and then you have to get evaluated again and again and again. And to be honest, at a very young age, at the age of 18 years old, that's what I did because it was difficult. I wanted I wanted the challenge. Um, out of all the things I've done in my military career, it's the most difficult thing I've ever done. And I think it set the precedent for my career afterwards and teaching me discipline, teaching me sacrifice and duty and honor and really what it means to be an American soldier. And, you know, you learn that lesson every single time you guard the tomb uh, every hour during the wintertime, every 30 minutes in the summer, uh, because you're you're humbled by those experiences, knowing that the men and or women that you're protecting are unknown because not only did they give their lives, but they gave their identity. And so for me, it was a, it was an honor and privilege to do that. I, uh, 
I was very fortunate. Um, just through my kids went to uh, daycare because I live out here in DC, and my kids went to daycare with one of the guards, and we got a I got a behind the scenes look at it, and it was absolutely amazing. I guarantee you, ninety nine point nine percent of people have no clue what you go through to earn that badge. Uh, it's amazing, brother. I mean, absolutely amazing. Uh, is there anything out there where people could find out more about the tomb? Because I, I can't explain it. I know you can, uh, but we could probably talk two hours just on that. But uh, yeah, man, is there anything out there that, that people could go to say, hey, you know what, this is like behind the scenes? So there is. There's educational platforms on Facebook, which is the uh, Tomb Guard Association. But also, if they just YouTube it, there's a whole bunch of documentaries on uh, the Tomb of the Unknowns and, and history of Arlington National Cemetery and how that whole thing got started. Um, you know, the World War One, World War Two, Korea and Vietnam unknown are the unknown soldiers that are interred. Mm -hmm. And in uh, 1997, they disinterred the Vietnam unknown because they uh, tested his DNA mm. and determined who it was. It was a air, he was an Air Force pilot shot down. So there's no remains in that crypt. It's just rededicated. But. Yeah, it's uh, YouTube is the best place because they have all the documentaries there. Yeah, I'm gonna check it out, brother. Um, the other thing about becoming a uh, an expert at decision making is later on in your career you get into special forces. You don't just get into it; you go through selection. You become a special forces uh, Green Beret, and everything in the military is all about planning. Granted, that old adage of you know you get punched in the face, blah blah blah, the plan goes out the door, but you always have to have some sort of plan. Now, everything, you know, I've been working for the government for 20 something years now, and everything comes down to the basic principles of like the military decision making process. And that includes prepping like you're doing now. And it's not like you said, it's not, I think you said witchcraft. It's not, it's like real modern day pre preparation for your family. How do you draw from your career? And special forces, because not everybody has that type of career as a contractor. And then all of a sudden, I shouldn't say all of a sudden, you start a business. And how do you start a business model after a career like that that's going to focus on that and be very specific? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, that was the difficulty I had in starting in a genre that's so vast, right? If you look at survival and what it mm -hmm. entails or preparedness and what it entails, it's so many things. Well, I think the, the way we broke it down is I said, hey, listen, what are the things that made me able to be prepared and which way did I prepare myself for the environment I was operating in? And the holistic approach that we take is we focus on the person. So the individual, um, that's all the things that I have on my person, my capability, my mindset, the equipment, uh, the work goes on, even my physical preparation. Then I line out mobility platforms, which is the rig or vehicle that you drive every single day, because that inherently is an extension of your capacity. If you look at yourself as, you know, a one man show, your rucksack is your capacity for carrying more equipment, more capability, Well, your vehicle is an extension of that. And then the extension of that in long term survival is your home. Everybody has a house, apartment, whatever it may be, your domicile, that place uh, is a place in which you could prepare even more because you could sustain more capacity uh, at your home or your location. So we we work off of that archetype, which is uh, focusing on the individual, their transportation means, and then their bed down location. And I think that was the start point. And then 
we break that down into planning, preparation, equipment, uh, even mindset for each one of those brackets. But that's how we structured Philcraft Survival. And that's, you know, not only our, our, our media handles, but that's also how we delineate and are able to disseminate the information without overwhelming the consumer because it can be overwhelming. Yeah, you're telling me. And uh, <laughs> man, when it's uh, when I first started watching China a couple months ago, two, three months ago, um, you know, the first thing I did was I went on Amazon, I ordered a whole bunch of N95 masks. Uh, to me, a whole bunch was 10. They accidentally sent me five boxes for free. Uh, but you see what's going on in the world and you prepare for it. Um, but without any specific guidance, you have no idea. Uh, subsequently, we ended up donating uh, nine-tenths of the uh, mass to locals because they don't have anything as far as fire departments and stuff. But unless you have some sort of area you can go to where you know someone that knows what the hell they're talking about, um, you're really pretty much lost. And Yeah, uh, I think the the most difficult thing is finding a resource for reputable and factual information right because mm -hmm. everybody likes to you know philosophize about their opinion and ideas on things but opinions don't help us in these kind of circumstances we need no. fact-based evidence and we need to be able to line out a plan and so for Philcraft survival like my sources uh being youtube and the podcast are resources where we give clear um, concise information. I don't like talking in vague and indefinite terms when it comes to survival because we could we could reference history, which is a great example of the things that we've been through, which we shouldn't repeat. And being in the military, you become very intimate and familiar with making mistakes that we've seen again and again and again, despite us understanding the process of not making mistakes through what we learned. Well, I wanted to create a couple platforms that were um, providing consistent information and data that people could listen or tune into to be able to um, take away and then add to their lives. Now, what's the best advice you would give someone who has no background? Um, and it doesn't have to be like, you know, massive advice, but no background in the military, no background in law enforcement, all of a sudden, hey, you know what? I've met so many people that this is their first time experiencing anything. They're going out buying their first gun. They're going to do all this new stuff. But if someone is never prepared for anything, what would you tell them the first thing to do is? No, I think, you know, it, it, important in survival is mindset. And I associate mindset in the realm of resilience because resilience is your ability to bounce back through difficult circumstances, which this is. I mean, you could have good days, you could have bad days, you could have anxiety, you could be confident one day. So resilience is built and confidence is built in physical preparation um, and physical activity. So if you're preparing, for example, for a hunt or for a hike, or you want to be better at preparedness because you want to be the ability to carry your own load out, for example, then getting physically fit is going to help you do all those things. If people are looking to get into preparedness, technically there's so many things that you could do that will benefit you. But the greatest start point uh, that I educate people on is start to get in shape, start to build your physical body. Because when you build your body, you build your mind through resilience, and you also build your confidence in uh, addressing stressful circumstances. Because catastrophe and disasters outside of the complexities that are involved in the scenarios that uh, 
they are, are just stressful circumstances that you face in everyday life. So we typically face low grade stress in everyday life that we don't accumulate or contrast with a disaster or catastrophe because we just deal with it. But all disaster is, is just compressed timeline of all that stuff. Um, and it could be over a longer period of time, but it's just hitting you a little bit harder. So if you're physically prepared, you're mentally going to exercise your mind and be mentally prepared. So that's the greatest start point I can give people is uh, get physically fit. It does absolutely help with the fear aspect as well. And you and I are both talking about our mutual uh, acquaintance friend, uh, Tony Blauer, about knowing fear. And it all comes down to if you know that life has changed, life is going to be different, and now you have to prepare for it. And you know you have to do some sort of physical activity. You know you have to get ready because life as we know it has changed. We know that. Uh, but you have to know it. And uh, that is great advice for someone is just to start getting physical. Move. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Move your physical yeah. body. Someone gave us our couch potatoes, man. I tell you. Uh, so let's talk about – I wanted to go back and talk about – you and I uh, both had similar – uh, we joined in the military pre 9 11, mm -hmm. and our life changed after 9 11. And I think, you know, this all, uh, it all equates into how it kind of gets a different mindset of showing how things change completely pretty much overnight. Where were you and what were you doing at 9 11? And uh, was what you felt back then kind of something uh, that could help anybody from today to kind of? Boom. Because a lot of the audience could, you know, 18, 19, uh, they don't really remember 9-11. Yeah, I joined the Army in uh, 97. And I actually did four years in the infantry, went to Ranger School, did, went to Airborne School, was a tomb guard, did a whole bunch of stuff. And there wasn't a war going on. I mean, I joined the Army to fight. Like, there's a lot of people who are hesitant to even say that because they don't want to be controversial I, I joined the military to fight in war. I mean, whether it was the ideology I, I developed as a young child watching war movies, my dad was in the army, my uncle was in the navy, whatever it was, I wanted to be part of something uh, at the tip of the spear that put myself in danger so others didn't have to. And I was just raised that way. So when I joined the army, my first four-year enlistment, my get out of the army date was September 3rd of 2001. By the end of my military enlistment, the first go around, there wasn't anything going on. And so I'm like, if there's no fight, I'm getting out. I'm going to college. I'll be an FBI agent. I'll be, you know, I'll do something else. But if there's no fight, I'm not going to sit here in garrison and, um, and pray for war. I'm just going to get out. So I got out and I transferred into the guard because I was going to college. And I was actually in college in the, the chow hall, which I think civilians call cafeterias. I was in the cafeteria. <laughs> And um, I saw the planes hit the towers. I immediately left and got my uniforms prepped and started calling my squad leaders. I was a team leader at the time. I was an E5 sergeant team leader in the infantry and said, hey, what are we doing here? And they were like, we don't know. And we're probably doing nothing. And so then I realized uh, I had to get back in because if I wanted to fight, if I wanted to be part of defending the nation, I needed to go back on active duty. So I immediately went back in and then um, less than probably six months after 9-11, I was in special forces selection. So immediately started going through training uh, in the invasion of Afghanistan. I was getting back on active duty, 
invasion of Iraq, I was in the special forces qualification course. So, um, yeah, if when people don't uh, really understand what that's like, it, it's like being somewhere with somebody you love and seeing them get beat up. Right. And then you have to do something about it. That's the urge in the feeling I had, which was, you know, we're getting attacked. We're getting beat up. Somebody needs to fight. I'm going to fight and I'm going to step up to the plate. Now, a lot of young men and women, even older men and women felt that same passion for their country and stepped up to the plate. And, and uh, uh, but that was a feeling that was, uh, that would change my life forever um, via that day. So you have a, a great career in the special forces. I'd like to say great because, I mean, you got to spend, like you said, you got the war fight. And as anybody who's ever been in the military who wanted to join the fight, that is the best thing that can happen to you, I think. Um, <clears throat> and uh, talking to you, man, I just very impressed with your background. Now, when you got out, you mentioned that you became a contractor. Uh, that must have been a different type of world, huh? Yeah, it was different. Um, I mean, I remember in the prime of the war in Iraq, we used to make fun of contractors. because we're Like those dudes are just doing it for the money. They, there's a war going on and they're getting they're getting paid. But at the tail end of my career, after nine combat rotations, I was in a position where I was like, you know, as a sergeant major, I, I'd done everything. I mean, there's nothing I didn't really do and nothing I wanted to do. Um, if there wasn't a fight going on, I don't want to be in the military just sitting around twiddling my thumbs. I didn't want to be a staff sergeant major. So I, I, I decided to separate. And my decision to go into contracting was, you know, I contracted for the CIA. Um, I could be relevant in operations, which is what I wanted to do at every uh, juncture in my military career was ops. If I wasn't going after bad guys, if I wasn't doing operations, then I, I wasn't relevant. And I realized that that contracting job had relevancy in operations. And so it justified for me stepping over to the dark side. Um, so I did that for about two and a half years, did uh, about an additional six or seven rotations. And it was, it was satisfying. I saw a lot of cool stuff, did a lot of great operations, made a lot of money, um, but at some point decided um, that I wanted to do something different with my life. So hence Fieldcraft's revival. Yes. And yeah. becoming one of the forefront or the foremost uh, people to go to when you want real modern day preparation, modern day training. It's not just preparing. There's other things happening. I mean, you can already be prepared. You can go there for advanced training and everything else. I really wanted to bring up, I'm going to bring out your, uh, your YouTube channel. So if you were listening to this right now, I'm going to pull up or attempt to pull up Mike's YouTube channel. So stay with me here, everybody. This is modern day technology and you're, you're talking to a, uh, me. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not really the greatest on this stuff. So here we are, the field craft survival channel. Can you see that Mike? Yeah, I do. That's awesome, awesome man. So everybody first thing first, Go to Fieldcraft Survival channel on YouTube. 153,000 subscribers right now. Um, amazing content. Um, and this is one thing I wanted to talk to you about is bug out bags. And bug out. Because uh, I have the Jeep ready to go. I have bags. I, I'm like, what do I put in them? 
Um, you also have stuff on here and understanding ham radio. Who in the past remembers the good old fashioned ham radio, the CB, the real communication device out there that when the grid goes down and there you go, you have um, introduction to fitness. You have how to basic pistol handling. So what I was talking about before, if like, Hey, you know what? You're new to the game. You, uh, you don't really know what the hell's going on because your whole life you've been kind of living in a really nice bubble. Nothing wrong with that. But now you're like, gosh, what am I going to do? Um, also, you have a podcast with John Norris. I just had John on not that long ago. He's an awesome guy, man. Uh, I've had him on twice now. and I love it. I love his stories, man. So anyway, that is the um, the podcast. I mean, the, uh, the YouTube channel. So everybody go there. Um, thanks for letting me do a mini commercial for you, Mike, because I'm excited for it. Really cool. I like that. Uh, now what I want to do is I'm going to talk for about two minutes here because Mike's got to take a break. But I want to talk about Mike's web page. This is where you're going to find the um, um, his uh, podcast. You're going to find more information about where to find him and how to find him, what he's all about. So let's try to pull this up here. Give me a second. This is a uh, I love honor technology, brother. I'm not going to lie. It's a really cool format, man. Yeah, I might have to I might have to get some uh might have to get some stuff from StreamYard for this. So if you go to fieldcraftsurvival.com. That's fieldcraftsurvival.com, all one word. Um excellent format, equipment training mindset. Everything we're talking about today is on this website. And one thing else I like on here, EDC buyer's guide. Does anybody know what that is? It's everyday carry. It's awesome, man. You got to check that stuff out because nobody knows what to carry every day if you've never been doing it. Um, Fieldcraft Survival Podcast is now available on all platforms. So, Mike, that's my mini unpaid, unscripted commercial for the Fieldcraft Survival. <laughs> I love it, man. I love I love talking to veterans. I love talking to LEOs. I love talking to emergency responders. I love talking to everybody that supports them. That's the main reason I have the Protectors Podcast. Okay, we've prepared for the apocalypse. Zombies are eventually going to come. We're good with that. I got 3,000 rounds of 5.56 downstairs, a whole bunch of 300 black. I got lots of guns. I got food to last for two months. But hey, I'm a 17, 18-year-old kid, and I want to join Special Forces. Um, how do I prepare? I mean, we're because we're, this is going to be over someday. You have a wealth of knowledge. You've been there. You've done that. Um but I want to talk about preparation for a different thing, preparation for those kids, young adults, I mean, 17, 18, 20s, whatever, that want to become a special forces operator. What yeah, we, advice would you give them? We typically, you know, we do we do offer special operations prep courses every spring and fall. We do two to a year. Um, I routine, I'm routinely asked, especially on social media, on my personal Instagram, um, what are the ways that I could prepare for special operations? And what I tell people most is, look, when you prepare for special operations, you have to live the lifestyle ahead of ahead of time. Like the time in which you are in shape shouldn't begin when you go to basic training. It should be get, begin when you go to special operations selection. It should begin as a part of your routine in everyday life. So there's a whole bunch of things that you could do, including physical preparation, um, mental preparation, um, getting good sleep, taking care of your body, but living this lifestyle that will set you up for success. Remember, 
special forces assessment and selection is assessing your ability to operate as a team, um, a, a member of a team, um, but also testing and evaluating your individual skill sets, which include physical preparation. A lot of people uh, in the military and special operations um, have different builds depending on their job. That's because functional fitness is going to dictate what kind of uh, workouts and what kind of uh, techniques you use to build your body based on the requirements of that job. I, I want young men and, and even women now to understand that the preparation phase for getting selected or assessed is a different body composition than somebody who's an operator in special operations. Because as an operator, you need good op upper body strength. You need to have agility, stamina, um, and you need to be functionally fit. Well, when you're prepping for selection, you're mostly prepping to carry a ruck on your back for long periods of time. That could be uh, that could be tens, twenties, thirty plus miles with forty-five plus pounds on your back. So that body composition is not going to be the same. So if you're in the gym lifting, you know chest and tries, back and buys, you're building unnecessary muscles that aren't going to be advantageous and really are only going to slow you down in special forces selection. So look at the parameters for selection, which is land navigation, which is a lot of uh, rucking, a lot of running, um, calisthenics, um, functional fitness, endurance, carrying a rucksack for a period of time is going to be the focus, not going into the gym trying to build muscle or focus on things that aren't going to benefit you in the selection phase. Once you get beyond that, the sky's the limit. You could, you could orient your body how you want to in functional fitness. But I always see that common mistake, which is you're not preparing to be an operator. You're preparing to be a selection candidate in assessment and selection. Um, so re remember that when you're, when you're going into the gym, drinking your protein shake. You're not going to have that protein shake in the field and you more than likely are just wasting energy via large muscles that you're not going to need. I like that, man. That's great advice. Uh, where were you 20 something years ago when Jason Piccolo was 1993? I was 20 years old. <laughs> I remember back then to like the football coaches and all that crap when I was in high school in the eighties were like, um, water, what do you need water for? <laughs> what do you need endurance for, man? Or the army days where it, the only answer was water. Are you fatigued? Just drink water. Are oh, you I know. Dehydrated? It's water, water, water. Water, water, water. I mean, and problem is, I grew up in New Jersey, so I say water, and nobody <laughs> understands what the hell I'm talking about, man. It's like you want what? <laughs> okay, brother. Let's talk about something that I really enjoy talking about: is guns. Um, ten millimeter or forty-five? Uh, between the two. Uh, 10 millimeter because I would use it for a big game, more likely a bear skull or a, or a, or a cat in the wild. I would never carry it for personal protection. Good. I like that. When I, uh, my, my claim to fame is I wrote a couple books here and there. And I, after I wrote the first one, I bought a big ass 44 Magnum for when I go hiking. And, uh, now I'm like, and I was thinking the same thing with 10 millimeter. I'm like, I like 10 millimeter. I like the idea of you know, in case you encounter any wildlife out there that may not be that pleasant. Mm -hmm. So I like that. I like that advice, man. Uh, 308 or 556 for just a gun gun? 556. Five, I think the, the ranges in which you're going to use that rifle um, 
and then the benefits of extra capacity in magazines, but also even even running and gunning with that weapon, which would be a lot lighter than a 308 gas gun. I would always recommend 556 over 308 with that understanding that if I had a choice between the two, I'm going to choose 556. Your favorite fun gun? My favorite fun gun is uh, I have a, a love for single action Colts. Yep. Single action army Colts. And, um, you know, they they have a uh, significant place in our history, but mm-hmm. I have a couple cowboy guns. I'm a big fan of cowboy guns. Mine is uh, lever actions. Yeah. I, uh, when I graduated college, I got a, uh, my dad got me a 1970 commemorative uh, Alamo. So it's got the big old 3030 carbine one. And then I got a, uh, I had a 44 Magnum uh, Winchester 94. But That's it's got a large loop. Yeah. And I, I was living out in Arizona. Uh, my wife was going to Officer Base, of course, back in the day. And uh, taking that thing to the range is like shooting a mortar. I know. It's so awesome, man. Crazy. I have that gun in my, in my gun cabinet right across from me. I love 44 Magnum, man. And then uh, I just got a 35 Remington. Um, I traded one of my old ARs for a, uh, a whole bunch of old guns. So I got a 4570 Breach. I got a 35 Remington lever action, man. I love all that. I love those guns, man. And uh, that's that's my life right now is uh, just staring at them. And because I live in right outside of D.C. and there's no ranges. Man. Okay. One thing I wanted to touch on uh, before I let you go off to the interwebs and everything else you're doing right now, man, is you said you're a nerd. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? So I'm a, you know, man, I have so many interests, but I'm a nerd because a lot of the stuff that I like is not based on popularity. You know, I'm a, mm-hmm. I like rocks, for example. Uh, I grew up rock collecting and rock hounding yeah. and I still do it today. And I actually started my own podcast called the Mike Force Podcast. And I have a geologist already lined out to be on my <laughs> podcast because I want to know about fracking. He, he's in the oil mm-hmm. and gas, but I want to know about fracking, about, you know, the history of rock and geology and i have a little a whole bunch of niche interests that aren't very popular but because i'm a nerd it doesn't bother me because I, I love that kind of stuff i hear you brother i uh same way here man i got so much if oh, so much crap that's uh i love that's not military law enforcement or or anything else man that it's uh it's nice to have an outlet man and I yeah. keep telling people that I'm, just do something that you enjoy. Your whole life doesn't have to be like working, operating, or you know, whatever, man. Yeah. Well, brother, I really appreciate you coming on. And before you go, I want everybody to go to YouTube, hit that fancy dancy subscribe button. Why are you there? Hit subscribe to Dr. Jason Pickle. Dude's pretty cool. Um, Fieldcraft Survival Channel. Um you're going to be able to find it. Just type in Fieldcraft Survival. It'll pop up, but just go to Survival Channel. Also, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to the podcast. You have no idea what that means to people who are in the podcast game. It's just nice. It's 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 like not a pat on the back. It's almost like the only way you're going to find us is if you subscribe and you review. If not, you get buried. Um, YouTube, everything. Um, Mike, if you can stay on the line after this, man, I really appreciate it. I'm going to do my closeout. Hey, everybody. Thanks for another awesome show today. Uh, I'd like to thank Mike. Uh, It's great having experts on the show. It's great having people who have been there, done that, and have the experience that go with it. A lot of people have been there. 
but a lot of people have not done that. And I really appreciate what Mike is doing. Uh, follow him, subscribe. Great guy. Um, check him out, man. Thank you, everybody. Enjoy season two of The Protectors. Thank you.